0: Welcome to WMNF Tampa, where we don't test our programming on animals. We know that the universe loves good music and the truth, and that's a fact, Jack.
1: The opinions presented on the Healthy Steps show are the evidence-based opinions of Dr. Fred Harvey, the callers, and his guests. These are not the opinions of the staff, the volunteers, or the board of WMNF. The information provided on the show is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. There is no implied patient-physician relationship in these calls. The nature of the calls is educational and informational only. Good morning, my dear friends. It is truly exquisite to start my Monday with you, and I
0: cannot thank you enough for keeping your radio dial tuned to WMNF Tampa. Let's sneak into the studio. The Healthy Steps radio show is about to begin. And well, my, oh my, guess what, my dear listeners? Today we're going to serve up another healthy platter of AMA, Ask Me Anything. So you know what that means. If you have any medical questions about anything that ails you about your body or mind or just something that you've been carrying around in the sulcus of your brain that medically puzzles you, you are encouraged to participate by calling 813-239-9663 or sending an email to... DJ at WMNF.org. You can also text us at 813-433-0885. Well, Dr. Harvey... You know that I have a particular fondness, nay, not particular fondness, an exceptional fondness for AMA Mondays. Ask me anything Monday. To me, it's sort of like sharing a box of Cracker Jacks with our listeners. That sweet taste of healthy lifestyle edification with the absolute possibility of getting a special prize to be found in some caller's Q&A with you. So let's break open the seal and fold back the red and white cardboard flaps and dig in. I'll let you have the first bite, Doc. What have you got for us this morning?
1: Well, once again, I have a wonderful introduction, and um, I'm really happy to be here. It is uh, a wonderful Monday in Tampa, Sarasota. Um, The only thing that uh, is problematic for me is oak, juniper, cedar, and that interesting critter that creates brevitoxin, red tide. Uh, I think a lot of us are suffering... Yeah, triple, quadruple, it's here. And, um, yeah, I think a lot of us are, are feeling it and, and it makes people wonder, are they getting COVID? Are they getting, uh, flu? Because, you know, the red tide and these allergies can make you feel like you have something going on, feverish, achy, you know, your, your immune system reacts. And so, um, uh, likely right now, if you don't have the classic, symptoms of flu or or the COVID, which did usually include fever, you probably are more likely to be having allergy and red tide reactions, especially when the wind is coming from the west. If we have an onshore wind, uh, bringing that red tide toxin into the interior of the state and that stuff can blow 30, 40 miles inland on a stiff wind day with a high content. And right now we have high red tide content. One of my, uh, Uh, Research colleagues told me we're at over a million parts per liter, which is really a lot of toxin. So, yeah, I love the uh, intro today. Uh, Fabulous music. There there is no place you can get more eclectic and wonderful tunes than on WMNF in this area. And truth, that is our mornings. And um, we try to bring a lot of interesting information. And so I, I just... Today's kind of a, um, um, a loose day. I um, I didn't even know I was going to make the show today because things were happening in my world. But I was fortunately able to keep the show on the road. And um, so I've just been looking at some news articles and news items, and and thinking that we're watching the the unraveling of the Western medical uh, establishment. It's it's really desperate and and grasping at straws to try and keep things together the narrative that they want to control in a lot of different areas is is failing to actually bring forth the information that they want and it's you know it's very difficult to prop up a narrative against the obvious and i'm seeing these things that keep showing up that make me question what it is that my I guess former colleagues are thinking, when I when I look at um, a, a, a recent abstract, an abstract is a, um, a, a distilled-down version of a more extensive article or report in medicine. Um, they abstract some information from it and give you the summary, basically. And um, in Circulation, the journal Circulation, which is one of the American Heart Association journals, uh, published at the end of January, they talk about atrial fibrillation and dementia. And there's a report from the, uh, 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 an international collaboration of people that like to screen for both dementia and for atrial fibrillation, not necessarily concurrently, but they're figuring out that when you do look at it concurrently, there is a distinct and definite associative risk. People that have atrial fibrillation have a higher risk of dementia. That's not saying Alzheimer's, but, you know, we, we dump most dementia into a bin called Alzheimer's. And, uh, one brilliant doctor, um, um, Dale Bredesen, wrote a book called "End of Alzheimer's: Reversing Cognitive Decline," and in that book, he he lays out that there are several different ways to look at Alzheimer's and break it down into different. Uh, subcategories or subpathologies like the basic Alzheimer's disease is related to the genetic misstep called ApoE and go on from there. But there's a vascular dementia, a vascular component. And that's where the atrial fibrillation comes in because atrial fibrillation results in um, things like cerebral microinfarction. That's a big one, right? So a brain tiny stroke. Little tiny clots flip off from the atrial fibrillation heart and end up in the brain, and they cause damage. And over time, you get small hemorrhages or bleeds, um, inflammation, and you get atrophy. But concurrent with this, anybody who has atrial fibrillation is probably in in a group where they likely have systemic atherosclerotic vascular disease, meaning that they have hardening of the arteries, And that's one thing that I see quite often in dementia patients is that we have hardening of the arteries in the small blood vessels in the brain, and that is vascular dementia. One of the best treatments for that is chelation therapy, but cardiologists and neurologists won't talk about it. And statins may help to reduce the uh, plaque, to reduce the cholesterol, and that is a thing that does reduce microvascular disease. However, what we know is that When we use pills to cover ills, we end up with adverse consequences. And here's the thought on statins. Um, Five years on a statin, it's been shown that you're likely, 50% more likely to have diabetes. Now, why would that be? Do you think statins as an anti-inflammatory drug are actually really causing more diabetes? Frankly, I don't. And we haven't had causative data that shows that this is what's happening. What seems to be clinically the case to me is that Western medicine doesn't coach people to do the right thing. Western medicine throws pills at people who have bad behavior and bad lifestyle. And so when you take somebody who eats a diabetogenic diet or a diabesogenic diet, in other words, some a diet that makes people fat and diabetes prone, you're going to get hardening of the arteries. And then if you put a pill on board to cover up the symptom called high cholesterol, symptom, it's not a disease. It's a symptom of bad attitude, bad diet, bad behavior, no exercise. And so if we cover up these bad ideas with a pill, we're going to end up with a secondary complication, diabetes. And so the same thing is happening here. H-fibrillation is not a, a disease in and of itself that just shows up out of the blue for 99% of people. Atrial fibrillation has several very specific causes. Um, We know that sleep apnea is a huge cause of atrial fibrillation. We know that excess alcohol use is a huge cause of atrial fibrillation. Those are the two principal causes. And so we also know that chronic alcohol use in doses enough to cause atrial fibrillation also cause brain deterioration because it erases your brain cells. There's something called Korsakov's dementia, which is alcohol-related dementia because your brain atrophies. And so we have this situation where um, we talk about things in Western medicine and label them, but we're not really talking about what the real issue is. And so, you know, Bob comes into the doctor and has atrial fibrillation, and the doctor says, here's your atrial fibrillation medication. So you don't have atrial fibrillation. And here's your blood thinner so that you don't get a stroke from the atrial fibrillation. But did the doctor actually, most cases, look for sleep apnea or do an alcohol intake history to find out if the person is actually doing too much? Because more than an ounce a day is enough to actually induce it in somebody who's sensitive, especially if they have sleep apnea. And alcohol will make the sleep apnea worse. So we're associating atrial fibrillation with dementia, but treating atrial fibrillation isn't necessarily going to actually treat the dementia. We need to actually treat the cause. And so I see this happening on a regular basis across the board. We we just don't get these kinds of um, um, good information out about our uh, medical reality. And that makes it a little difficult for people to uh, really, uh, especially clinicians, clinicians in the front line, Primary care doctors, primary care doctors who are actually becoming now at more and more shortage because the field doesn't remunerate them enough and puts all the stress and all the burden on the primary care doctor to be responsible for all these parameters that the subspecialists don't want to deal with. And so it's it's really skewed the way healthcare is delivered. It's skewed the way people think about healthcare. And in the system where doctors have become commodities in their own um, medical industrial machine, they don't have time to actually sit and talk with a patient and figure out what actually is going on to get the result that we need as far as health targets are concerned. And you know, I, I really have to say, I love my listening audience and i think my listening audience loves uh ask me anything days and um, i think that we really have done well i mean my, my show got supported almost to goal and i think that um i should mention today that we are on wmnf and this is tampa's favorite radio station and this is the healthy step show and i think that more Uh, support for the show and for the radio station is indeed needed. The radio station did barely hit its goal, but if we have all the shows hit their goals, we will be much better off and be able to provide even more programming for the future.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, just to take that up a step, Joellen with uh, the Art in the Year show, she's the host for that. She always says, the best little station in the nation. Absolutely. Folks, you are listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show. Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. And today's topic is Ask Me Anything. It's a wide open scope, so go for it. Ask them anything. And you are encouraged to give a call. Irene's waiting for your jingle. Just give us a dial at 813-239-9663. I guess people don't dial anymore. They just push the buttons. How about it? And send us a email at dj at wmnf.org. You can also text us at 813-433-0885. And let me give that number again because I really want you to participate. It's
1: 813-239-9663. Back to you there, doctor. You know, the rotary dial phone is something that I miss somewhat. It was really actually kind of amusing to watch that little thing spin around every time you had to do another number. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you made a mistake, <laughs> that yeah. kind of was catastrophic. It kind of was. You had to start that whole process over. So, um, you know, um, there's there's delusion happening all over the way medicine works today. And I'm not talking just about uh, on our less than adequate clinical assessments and approaches to treatment but um funding and and payment um there's there's a really interesting thing you know since insurance companies have turned this into a, uh, a, um, a profit industry, um, in a totally different way. They've come up with all kinds of interesting ways to restrict the pay of a doctor, and doctors have figured all kinds of interesting ways to scam, essentially scam the uh, um, the system to get more money out of it. It doesn't take into account the fact that there's actually a client, a patient in the system that actually is being used as a tradable commodity here as well. And so I was just reading this article from the News and Observer um, Raleigh, North Carolina newspaper. Um, um, people ask me where I get my news sources everywhere. I may look at 3000 different sources because I'm constantly scanning for interesting information. And so, yeah, I won't, I won't stick to, um, you know, major news sources. Um, uh, cause I know most of them are a bit polluted by the people who own them and their, their directed storylines, but, um, there are still some good local news reporting that you can find, and and so this report was about how healthcare didn't change, and the office hasn't moved. This is the title of it: "Healthcare Didn't Change, the Office Hasn't Moved." But why is University of North Carolina now now charging more? Well, so the story is that the UNC had three dermatology clinics, and they were outpatient dermatology clinics, and now. The, the the hospital system has decided, well, we are going to um, scam some clients now and scam the insurance industry. So they found out that, and, and Sarasota Memorial does this too. They create hospital-based clinics. And I found this in my uh, uh, review of billing. Like, well, I have an option for doing, quote, a facilities charge for when I do a visit. I'm not using that type of billing anymore, but looking in, in my um um uh EHR, I can see that there's an option for doing a facilities charge. And and I was I, I understood about it, but now I'm seeing how this revenue generating gimmick is what a health policy expert calls this, and I totally agree. What they do is they change the like ownership of these clinics to make them hospital-based, and that allows them to charge an extra 50, 75, some kind of dollars on top of the visit just so they can cash in a bit more. It squeezes more dollars out of the patients and the payers and sends it right into the healthcare system. It's really skeezy business. It's so, so, so sketchy. And I think that anybody who's actually seeing a physician at a it's that's part of a hospital group should ask if they're getting a facilities fee. That's just an extra fee because the hospital owns the practice. It's quotes. it's like an administrative fee. So it's a way of them just making more profit off of you. I think that's really foul. But um, I guess we've lit up the lines now. So let's have some talk. Yes, absolutely. We have. We've got uh,
0: Mark from Spring Hill and Doug and Denise and Derek. So let's start with Mark in Spring Hill. Good morning, Mark.
2: Hello, how we doing? Great, how are you? Uh, I'm calling about CRPS.
1: Chronic regional pain syndrome.
2: Oh, ding, 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 ding. Give that man a cupidol. Hmm.
1: So wow. what do you need to know about CRPS? It is craps, for sure.
2: Oh, you're telling me something that i already not living with. So, what's happening? Um, got extreme sensitive to to cold um, numbness deadening of the feet um,
1: extreme nerve sensitivity um, so this is happening in both feet, not just one. Yes, exactly and did you have a spinal
2: injury? um oh god I've had I've had. Compartments released on both of my legs. I've had surgeries on my knees. I've had back surgery. Um, you know, let's go through the alphabet. You
1: know, yeah, you've had a lot of lot of trauma there that could be inducing this stuff. Uh, what have yeah. you done outside of standard medicine to bring it down? Um, well,
2: um, in fact, I just recently went online and there's this these people in italy and they deal with a lot of people in the states and i was going to reach out to them and and ask them you know about it but it seems i can't find anyone around here that
1: so what have you been doing
2: i'm sorry what have you been doing basically nothing, you know, does Okay. deal, you know, um, you know, stay warm, you know, don't, you know, um, just, uh, I, oh, oh, I have, uh, that, um, revive it, you know, that, that it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a 10, it's,
1: Oh, like a tens unit, yeah. So th- those can help. I'm gonna um, make a suggestion. I've seen uh, yeah. quite a few people with um, with CRPS, and um, the uh, um, one thing you want to do is you know get rid of as many irritants in your system in your life as possible. So get rid of alcohol and um, excess caffeine and and the usual kinds of things like that. Artificial colors, flavors, sugar, etc. But um, I have seen some people turn around. Sugar, with, yeah. Well, yeah. Through there, <laughs> I, I've seen people turn around this condition using class four laser therapy. Class four laser is a hot laser, kind of like they do the plastic surgery with, but they use a different kind of lens on it that diffuses the heat into more tissue, and it actually changes the course of the nerve health. Other things that can help with nerve health are alpha lipoic acid and uh, methylcobalamin, methylfolic acid, benfotymine, activated B vitamins. All those things are really important. uh, But I would look up um, someone who uses a class four laser. Um, There are different ones like light cure and the K laser, but uh, chiropractors, acupuncturists, physical therapists tend to have them.
2: Yeah. You know, Good luck finding one around here, you know. No, nope. uh,
1: um, where are you? Spring Hill, Florida. Ah, uh, well, you might have to travel towards <laughs> Tampa or a bigger city for it. Uh, we have numerous people in Sarasota that does it. Um, so, if you Google you Class been... Four Laser, you might find someone closer than you think.
2: Even though I, even though that I've had it for an extremely long
1: time from. Hey, you know, you've not, you've not tried I'm, it. I'm like stage three. Yeah, but you've not tried to do any of these things, so no, I think it's worth a true. try. You're, you're living uh, with pain, so oh, I'd go work misery, on it. misery. <laughs> Mark, uh, give us a call back in a month and see. If, if let us know how the Class 4 laser helped.
2: Uh, thank you very much, Doc.
1: Well, you're th- welcome. Have a great day. Thank you, Mark, and good All luck
0: right. to you. Oh, thanks. Uh, yes, we've got um, Doug in Tampa who's got a question for us. Good morning, Doug.
3: Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for the call. Allow me to call in the knowledge that you put out for the community. I'm a 66-year-old male that's non-smoker, non-alcohol drinker, and I've been recently diagnosed last year with neuropathy, and the doctor, which I didn't see a doctor, I saw a PAC, and they said... Uh, take gabapentin well i've took gabapentin and i have now uh, an extreme amount of leg weight and i'm having tremendous amount of um leg pressure and knee pressure and i was wondering uh, if there's anything over the counter i can take for inflammation i'm regularly do exercise but it just feels like i'm so, so let me let
1: me address let me address the problem in the room. The problem in the room is the physician's assistant and the Western medical system. Gabapentin doesn't treat neuropathy. I'll say it again. Gabapentin doesn't and has never and will never treat neuropathy. Gabapentin dulls your brain so you don't notice that you have neuropathy. That's its purpose. That's its only purpose other than controlling seizures. So, when a doctor offers you gabapentin for a problem that is killing you, you might ask Can we do something about the problem rather than making me hide the problem and think that I'm not dying? And so the approach here for a neuropathy is to find out why you've got it. What toxin is bothering you? Do you have Lyme disease? Do you have mycotoxins? Do you have toxic metals or do you have petrochemical toxins? What's going wrong? And then what are you missing? Are you missing B12? Are you missing folic acid? Um, there are uh, issues that you can address in different ways. but you need a doctor who's actually willing to actually do the workup and find out why you have neuropathy, not just treat your symptoms and forget about you?
3: Interesting. Yes, I have uh, uh, stopped going to that particular doctor because I heard some feedback that that uh, the Gavapen is not really guilty, but I find myself to be using that as a candy to maybe mask that, but I have been that's That's what it's a, doing. Act, it's Acupuncturist and... Uh, they're pretty decent, but uh, uh, my blood work came back uh, a little bit high on calcium and real low on vitamin B12. So I go once a week for an injection, and she gives me them in each knee and in the thigh, and it seems to help temporarily. But then a week or two later, I'll be back to normal, and maybe sometimes I won't have no pain for a week or two.
1: Well, B12 is going to take months to work and help you rebuild the nerves. So you just keep getting B12. If you are low in B12. That's definitely an important thing. Um, but I would actually go to the website ifm.org or institute up, for functional medicine.org and down here. Right. find a doctor who does functional medicine near you and actually get a real assessment from somebody who actually can help shift the course of your ship. The acupuncturist is helping, they do healthcare. Um you need to find somebody who does health care, not the p a who did illness care for you okay, so i f m
3: do you have any any uh place in Tampa that you would recommend? i know i can't hold you accountable for, but
1: if uh right you know, so the way i recommend vote. the way i recommend it is you go on to i f m dot and you look up the doctor because I don't make recommendations yes,
3: sir i appreciate that respect that Okay, well, thank All right. you for the, for the uh, candidacy, and you guys keep up, and I enjoy listening to you guys because I get educated each time I hear
1: you. Thank you so much. Wonderful, Doug. Pop something in the tip jar for the station, if you would. Yes, sir, I will. I promise. Thank you.
0: All righty, and yes, we've got no shortage of people today. We've got Derek, Denise, Diane, and Jan. So let's go to Derek with an artery therapy question. Well, hey, Derek. Not nah, my fault. Uh, let's go to Denise. Denise.
4: Hi, this is Denise in Sarasota, and I'm just calling about my, um, rotator cuff, the left shoulder, I think, all the muscles. It's been about a year, and sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse. I had PT, but I haven't continued to do the strengthening exercises I'm supposed to do. I just wondered if you had any ideas. I take, uh, turmeric, glucosamine, I take different things.
1: I would say you need exercise. You need to go back and do the exercises PT showed you because if you don't do those, you're going to go back to the same posture you had that caused the rotator cuff tear in the first place.
4: Okay. I thought it was mostly age that caused the tear.
1: No, actually what happens is as you age, you get poor posture and then you abuse your joints. If we actually... Um, paid more attention and had more mindful posture, walking, et cetera, would end up with many less hip and knee replacements and and back surgeries because um, oh. they come from actually not paying attention to what your body's telling you. And um, I know that because I had two torn rotator cuffs with poor posture doing uh, power yoga. And um, by doing physical therapy, muscle activation technique is a very, very powerful technique, muscle activation technique. Look that up online. Well, activate- and. activation muscle activation, yeah, those practitioners uh, do it differently than... Many others. It's a very unique philosophy, but it really helped me heal my rotator cuffs. And deep tissue massage helps to release some of those uh, areas where the the problem is going on. And class four laser helps to bring in um, and recruit blood vessels and fibroblasts to build new soft tissue, new connective tissue to heal that area. And a supplement that I used called Synovix Tendon Ligament actually really helped to rebuild. So I actually got a re MRI and have mostly rebuilt my rotator cuff, having done. On this technique
4: um what was the supplement again please
1: s-y-n-o-v-x tendon oh, and ligament Sinovec.
4: okay and oh gosh there was one other question but i forgot it
1: well <laughs> uh, denise so, i think you got homework
4: <laughs> muscle activation technique. that's Sinovac. correct
1: synovic tendon ligament
4: and novic ligament. oh i do i am i just started um back to the chiropractor and he does warm laser but i don't know if it's oh good so if
1: he does the hot laser you found the right chiropractor keep going there because that will help heal the rotator cuff that's what i use that with the the muscle activation and and um uh the supplements and um deep tissue massage and continuing the exercises
4: that's the other thing my thought was that deep tissue might tear the muscle even more that it was already torn
1: Um, not if you go to the right guy who releases those things. They're not going to really be stretching you and tearing. They're going to work on the places that are in spasm around it.
4: Okay. All right. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Yes, we've got Derek back. I appreciate his tenacity and patience. Good morning, Derek.
5: Yes, hello? Hi there, Derek. Yes, good morning. Um,
0: Good
1: day. What have you got for us today?
5: The, well, Dr. I heard you mention just at the end of it, deletion um, therapy. Yes. Um, and you were speaking about statins and ineffectiveness of statins and so on. And I want to find out more about deletion therapy and how effective it is uh, in in helping to bring your arteries out and so on.
1: Yes. So um, actually statins are highly effective. Um, Statins are pharmaceutical therapy, and many people don't want to use them, but they are highly effective. I've used them regularly, and they are one of the best things you can do if you've had a heart attack to prevent the next heart attack. No matter what you read online, they are highly effective tools, and they have very low adverse consequences, which we know about, and we can monitor for, and we can stop. So I still use statins because they're effective tools, and I try to use all the tools that we have. Chelation therapy is also a pharmaceutical, and people do have these... Um, um, questions about pharmaceuticals. But, uh, in fact, cardiologists had a lot of questions about this pharmaceutical and they poo pooed it for years. And there was a cardiologist at the University of Miami, um, Herbacio, uh, Lamas, and, um, uh-huh. Tony Lamas, uh, uh, did the first study called trial to assess therapy, TACT. It was published in 2013 in the Journal of the Medical American Medical Association. It looked at about okay. 1,800 people who had heart attacks. And yeah. the therapy was done for, um, one year, 40 treatments in one year. At five years out, they were assessing all of the outcomes. So if somebody's had a heart attack and they've gotten a year's worth of chelation therapy, five years out, they have a 20% reduced risk of dying of all causes, a 20% reduced risk of going to bypass surgery, a 20% reduced risk of having another heart attack. If that person who had the heart attack, also had diabetes. They had a 50% reduction in all those things. Better than any statin drug can provide. It cleans out the arteries very nicely, and it gives you a rejuvenative therapy that is unlike any other therapy we have available for cardiovascular disease.
5: I see. So let me suppose that you did not have a heart attack because I didn't have one of those. I caught uh, my cardiologist, caught a small blockage in one of the arteries in my heart. Uh, yes. Before
6: it got to that stage. Um, but I just want to take care of it instead of putting a stent in or
5: something like that.
1: Right. Well, stents um, are only effective um, as far as cost is concerned, as far as complications are concerned, in one situation, and that is when somebody's having an active heart attack. Using stents think- to cover. Um, the symptoms of cardiovascular disease on an ongoing basis is more costly, has more complications and doesn't really work as, as well as, um, using medical therapy, regular angina therapy and statins, et cetera. And so, um, um cardiologists know this, there have been at least three studies that have said that stents are less, um, a choice than medical therapy, but cardiologists still do it because, um, People have been marketed on it, sold on it, and they want it. And the cardiologist makes a heck of a lot more money than writing a prescription. And so we have a skewed um, specialty bias towards stenting when their own literature tells them it shouldn't be done.
5: Okay, well then my cardiologist is on the right track because he didn't recommend the stent right away, but he, um, he put me in statin. So you think I should use the statin and
1: get? I think if you have a yeah. If you have a cardiac lesion, you should be on something, a, a regimen that gets your LDL cholesterol down to 80. If you can't do it with diet, exercise, and other lifestyle change, then you probably need a drug. Well,
5: that's what I'm doing now, diet, exercise, and you know, but I never smoked or drank alcohol much. So yeah. I'm now increase my exercise. I'm now on a a diet where i have eliminated animal products for the time being and see what effect it would have and so on.
1: Good. Um, I think you're on the right track. Chelation is still an option for you at some point, though. It it rejuvenates all of the arteries and it does give you an advantage.
5: (laughs) Okay. Well, I'll see what I can find a chelation therapist somewhere in in Petersburg or Tampa. Thank you so much, Dr. Harvey. I listen to you every week. I love your program.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here for you. Drop one in the tip jar for the station. we Will do. Thank you.
0: Keep dropping you. until you're tired there, Derek. <laughs> All right, we have Diane, who's been waiting quite patiently. Good morning there, Diane.
6: Yes. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you. Hello. Um, I am 68 years old. I've been on Weight Watchers pretty religiously for about six months, and I can't get rid of my weight, I think I've lost two pounds. So I was wondering what your opinion was
1: on hormone supplements. Well, um, so let's start with the weight. Um, weight issues are difficult for a lot of people, and yes, hormones can come into play there. Um, the um, old thought of calories in calories out, um isn't necessarily the way we're gonna get weight loss to occur, and I know Weight Watchers has updated their thinking on it to some extent. I'm not sure if they're still in the calorie counting mode. Are they still doing that?
6: Uh, well, they do points, so I guess yeah,
1: that's calorie counting. Yes, and and so uh, really, um, for someone who said. Real-time with weight loss, it may be worth it to look at a different kind of diet, like a low-carb diet, to get the process moving. Okay. So and, like doing a keto hormone? diet, paleo diet, I would do that before starting. And then, yeah, I think it would be worthwhile for anyone who is uh, menopausal to have a full hormone panel. I think everybody deserves a full hormone panel to see where they're functioning. Also, a neurotransmitter panel. Um, Because if you don't have any adrenaline on board, you're not going to have the internal energy to burn the calories anyway. And so there's a lot of different things that can actually help. But I've not really noticed a huge uh, uh, weight shift by just adding um, uh, female replacement hormones.
6: Okay. And where might I get those therapies or those Um, those, um, examinations?
1: the tests um, I would yeah. get I would I would look for a salivary hormone test with a functional medicine doctor or a functional uh, pharmacy. There are pharmacies that actually do hormone testing to help you uh, make decisions about uh, about hormones as well. but uh, most functional medicine doctors are going to provide you with that kind of information so you can understand uh, what to do next and they can also usually provide you coaching on how to apply a diet better. All right
6: and they also do t- uh, neurotransmitter.
1: Uh, neurotransmitters yeah there's a urinary test that i use regularly to check the uh, adrenaline and and noradrenaline and serotonin and dopamine levels to see how we can uh, produce a better result
6: okay all right well well thank you so much and i will add to the tip jar
1: you're welcome diane have a great day you too and thank you very much for your
0: generosity diane Let's go to Jan, another very patient person. The first
1: non-D person today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hi. Hey, Jan. Hi there.
4: Hi. There. Hi. Uh, okay. Well, I have always been pretty healthy, but I developed AFib about a, a year ago and caught everybody by surprise. I'm normal weight and uh, hike and e-organic and all that stuff, but uh, had an ablation because I wanted to get rid of it quickly. Went to acupuncture, and now the AFib is under control.
1: The problem. How's your here, sleep apnea?
4: I had my sleep apnea. I just got the report out. I have a mild sleep apnea, ten or more second period of at least eighty percent airflow, and then the hypopnea event as a ten or more second period of at least thirty percent airflow and a. What's four your AHI?
1: More, the what? The AHI, AHI, <clears throat> uh,
4: five
1: point five. Okay, you have mild to moderate, um, and and so yeah, you do have a, a potential cause there for sleep apnea or for um, atrial fibrillation. Those oxygen-starved times during your night actually put a stress on the heart that could cause this, and so that may have been. A source. There's also other sources. You could have some toxicity on board. Um, but um, yeah, I think treating your um, sleep apnea would be a really important thing. Uh, is, is that? There, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Is that what you wanted to talk about today, or was there another uh, question? Yeah.
4: No. Just uh, is there an option besides a CPAP machine?
1: Yeah, actually, there's um, something called a dental splint, and there's different varieties of it. With mild, you might get by with simply a dual jaw bite plate that doesn't have a ratchet in it. And then there's the Cadillac version that actually has two pieces to it, a top and bottom and a ratchet device between that can allow you to advance your lower jaw so that the snoring doesn't occur. Um, But with your level of apnea, you may not need to go to that more expensive, like $3,500 device. You might get by with something a little less expensive. I think some of the bite plates cost about six hundred or seven hundred dollars, and it has been effective for quite a few of my clients that had only mild sleep apnea.
4: And do I go to a dentist for that? Yes. Or where do you go to a, a bite? So that seems to be the best option there.
1: Yeah, I think that would be good to get a consult with a dentist cuz they can make one that's really fit specifically to your mouth. I have had people order them online and um with very mixed success. Um so I think I would actually go talk to a professional rather than just ordering the the thing out, out of out of uh, um Amazon or whatever. Absolutely. No, I'd want one that's custom made, I would guess. Uh, yeah. Okay. So anything else?
4: It's, it's no, I think that pretty life. much covers it. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I'll let you move on to other people. Thank you very much. Have a great much. day, Jen. The big help. All right, bye. Bye.
0: Well, Bye-bye. thank you, Jan. Appreciate that. And I'm hoping I'm pronouncing our next caller's name correctly. Asia from Tampa with a thyroid issue question. Good morning there, Asia. Good
7: morning. How are you?
0: I'm hey, doing Tennessee. great. How are
7: you? I'm doing all right. Um, I've had, been struggling for a couple of years with my thyroid. Um, originally in 2019, uh, I went to the endocrinologist because my PCP told me that my hormones were abnormal. Um, but I ended up getting pregnant right after they did the, the panel. So they kind of everybody kind of shrugged their shoulders and went off and wanted to wait until after my pregnancy to kind of flush out the hormones. Um, my my thyroid on my on my right of my on the right of my neck uh, turned out to be very enlarged and continued to grow. So the doctor told me that I had a, gut, a goiter, yep. um, but was continuously checking my hormones. Uh, not my hormones. I'm sorry. My TSH, but it was always normal, within normal range, is what he said. Um, and he basically did nothing. He's like, "We'll just continue to monitor."
1: So, what do you, did he, anybody check your iodine level, or did they check your thyroid antibody levels? Nothing.
7: No, he didn't check anything aside from the TSH. He did ultrasounds to monitor the growth as well. Because I have it on both sides. But one side is significantly smaller than the other. And it's just been continuing to grow. Um, And I would go and he would just say continue to monitor. And he never really did anything until last year when he did a biopsy. But it also turned out to be negative that it was just a cyst um, that, you know, had no issues with it. So he's like, we'll just continue to monitor. it." I had all these other, like, uh, symptoms like weight gain, brain fog, like carpal tunnel. I got carpal tunnel in my pregnancies. And it started, I started getting a little bit of it. I have a really puffy face and I started researching on my own, but, um, technically my doctor has not done anything and I only see him every six months. So I wanted, I was collecting information to go back to him to, um, to, you know, ask questions because I, I wasn't educated enough. Um, but he didn't check anything else. And I was wondering, you know, if there's any advice that you should give, that you can give me.
1: I'm just wondering why an endocrinologist like doesn't have any interest in endocrinology. It's really weird. It's like he has a woman who has a goiter and a gland dysfunction and isn't willing to do a workup. I mean, one of the things we know of that causes uh, goiter is uh, iodine deficiencies. So first things first, get an iodine level checked. I usually do a a, a random urine iodine, and if it's really abnormal, I might do a 24-hour urine iodine. And uh, that way we can assess the iodine levels. And I also think that somebody who has a goiter with cysts deserves to find out if they have a thyroiditis. The biopsy might have said that there was some inflammation there, but um, um, did he tell you you have thyroiditis from that biopsy? No, he
7: said yeah. everything is fine.
1: I think uh, um, it,
7: we're just going to continue to monitor. That's what he's constantly been saying for the past years.
1: Yeah, so he doesn't care about the fact that you have a goiter. He's not really concerned with the fact that you have an abnormal thyroid. This is an endocrinologist whose job is to deal with a thyroid, and he's basically ignoring it. It's really weird. Um, I yeah, don't understand I, what's what goes on with them.
7: I began to develop a lot of um, GI issues as well after that. Um, I asked the uh, the GI if it, if the, the if the thyroid would you know. Um, contribute to any GI issues and she told me yes and I asked her about it and she told me well did was your TSH normal and I told her that endocrinologist told me it was and that was she was like well then it's probably not the thyroid so like everything ends at the TSH yeah of course and it's not even a
1: thyroid hormone isn't it funny the TSH is not a thyroid hormone did you know that yeah, I did. On my yeah, research. most most people don't know that the TSH is not a thyroid hormone. It's thyroid stimulating hormone that comes from the pituitary, and this is how the yeah. endocrinologist evaluates your thyroid function. Like, I'm not really sure what that does, um, except to assure him that your pituitary is functioning well. So. Um you need a doctor who's going to look at these things. You need a doctor to do a full thyroid panel on you with thyroid um antibodies. You need um a uh, an iodine check and um uh you probably should go off gluten since you have a goiter and you have GI problems and uh Hashimoto's thyroiditis and gluten are connected. Um maybe not causative, but we know it can get worse and that can cause gut problems. So First things first, okay. get off gluten and then find a functional medicine doctor, ifm.org.
7: Okay. Thank you so much for your help.
1: You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. Well, and we're back to
0: D's. I've got David from Lakeland on the line with a sleep apnea question. Good morning, David. Yes. Hi, David. Hi. Hi. Um,
8: okay. Geez, Where do I start? <laughs> My wife was uh, had a biopsy before the New Year's uh turned out to be uh cancerous stage one. Uh they of did what? the biopsy. Uh, I'm sorry? Of what? Uh, uh breast cancer. A oh, breast cancer. Yes. Um they did the biopsy. They found they found you know, it was just stage one. We're gonna uh, put you through um yeah she she chose the radiation over the well it was either that or a mastectomy. And uh-huh. the doctors thought, you know, that's way well you know, that's, that's too far off in left field here. Let's just focus on what little, you know, that we have to do first. That would be like the last resort. Uh, she Okay, she went to the radiation uh, 20 bouts. Um, and flawlessly and very courageously she did that. And that was about two months ago. Ever since then, she cannot sleep. She has had serious anxiety. She's... Uh, I don't even know how to explain it. That's that's the bottom line. Maybe an hour, a night, maybe. Mm -hmm. Is that that humanly possible? Is it because of the radiation? They say the radiation did not cause this.
1: So there are numerous things in operation here. One, a diagnosis of cancer. Um, Two, the um, ramp up of fear by the treating physicians. Stage one cancer is pretty much not to worry about. Um, no. I don't know what the pathology is. I don't even know if it was stage one or if it was DCIS. Was it DCIS by any chance? I, 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 Duct- I, ductal carcinoma in situ? That's almost not a cancer. And so... She has a trauma, psychosocial, psychospiritual trauma, plus she has a physical trauma from the radiation. The radiation does cause internally a reaction of inflammation, and it causes an internal kind of fight-or-flight response. So in addition to what she's been dealing with, this is going on. So um, things that can really help in this situation are doing some breathwork exercises. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and doing some... That's not working. She's already doing some. No, uh, well, she does yoga. Yeah, she's she's doing breathwork exercises specifically, not yoga, but breathwork. I'm not sure. I work. The breathwork is a really good thing that can help. Um, Another very good thing that can help is acupuncture, because what we want to do is try and reset the autonomic nervous system, which is off. uh, craniosacral therapy can help reestablish that rhythm. Um, esoteric healing is another energy modality. Reiki is another modality. Um, but everything starts with the breath. So um, maybe going on to Dr. Joe Dispenza's website and getting a, med- a guided meditation from him will help redirect some of the anxiety. Um, um, and then these are all really good techniques that can help um, shift that internal sensation. Okay.
8: Well, they have run, they have run med. um, Okay. So we've, we've gone to Lakeland regional. I don't know if I should mention any hospitals, but there it is. Uh, They say, Hey, it's not physical. Doctor referred her to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist says there's nothing wrong with you. Here's something to help you sleep. If that doesn't work, here's something for the anxiety. That's not working. The next day we're in the emergency room. They put her through the system again and all that. There's nothing wrong with you, ma'am. Two days later, we're in the emergency room.
1: Right. You're explaining very clearly that she has an autonomic nervous system dysfunction and that the trauma is like PTSD and it needs to be assuaged by other methods. The medications that the psychiatrist provides weren't provided on any kind of medical basis. They were provided on a symptom basis because that's all the medications that they use do. And they haven't done an image or a blood test or a urine test to figure out what is causing the anxiety. And for me, it sounds exactly like she's had a trauma. And these modalities that I mentioned to you are much more effective at dealing with human trauma than taking a Xanax or a Valium pill. Right. All right. Okay. Now, melatonin is a really good tool for sleep. So she's really having trouble sleeping. Ramping up the melatonin from 5 to 10 to 15 milligrams at night with magnesium and B6 could be a good way of actually dealing with it. And melatonin helps to um, um, prevent um, some of the worst effects of breast cancer going to brain.
8: Okay. Yeah. she's, She's tried
1: the magnesium. It didn't work. Melatonin, magnesium, B6 together. And meditation, breath work, energy work. These are the ways I would go for this problem. Right. Now, how come the doctors couldn't tell us this? You ask them that. That's your job. They, they could not give me a clear answer. There was ask there was nothing them wrong. again. Know. Put them on the spot. Make them feel uncomfortable. They deserve to feel uncomfortable because they're not able to help.
8: Right. And, and then I gave up on Lakeland. I took her to Tampa. is where I work. I said, I'm picking you I'm taking just the best. Let's see. They couldn't find anything.
1: Right, right. Because they're not looking at the right spot because they're not looking at the person. They're looking for numbers. Right. I do- listened to your story. Her story is one of psycho-spiritual trauma. She needs help from other humans. Okay, okay. So
8: acupuncture, really?
1: Really? You think so? Acupuncture, esoteric healing, craniosacral, reiki, sitting and talking with a counselor, like a hospice counselor, even though it's hospice and that's the other end, they deal with people who have this kind of fear and pain inside. Yeah, Find yeah, a she, cancer yeah. counselor.
8: She does. She she is talking to counselors
1: 24 Oh, good, time, good. I'm so impressed. now take it to the next sure. level and do the energy work.
8: Okay. Well, you know, I, I know nobody has a magic pill, you know, but really. No, there are no magic people. pills,
1: but there's definitely techniques you can use. Right, right. And you got to keep trying until you find the one that works. I mean, my health journey, my personal health journey is my entire lifetime. I keep finding new things that work. I keep changing what I'm doing because we need to do that.
8: There's really no alternatives, right?
1: Yeah, I get it. They are the alternatives. That's what we got to do. we got to find all the alternatives, my friend. So have at it, David. Good luck with your wife. Best wishes. My love to you both. Um, Get some healing going. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Have a great day.
0: Bye okay. Bye. We're down to about the last two minutes. And uh, I think, um, I'll do
1: some emails. I was kind of thinking you might sway that way. Go for it. righty. Um, so is alkaline water healthy? Yes, I believe it is, but you know what? I don't really bother with, um, uh, buying it. I just throw a little sodium bicarb in my water in the morning when I get up, I have a great under sink filter and actually the water that comes out of mine is slightly alkaline. It's got some magnesium in it, but Um, you know, any kind of uh, 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 alkaline water is going to actually give you a little bit of a boost because we tend to run acid in our world. Um, Lance wants to know how much vitamin D one should take per day. The minimum I recommend for most adults is 2,000. Uh, international units, um, and I have people on as much as 5,000, sometimes more depending on how obese because vitamin D distributes through the um, adipose tissue, and it takes a long time to get good blood levels in some people. Um, Testosterone. I'm taking a weekly injection of testosterone to help with my osteoporosis. Is there a more natural way to do this? Well, if your testosterone started as insufficient, Taking testosterone and bringing it back up to normal male levels is a really good thing because people actually thrive with higher levels of testosterone and uh, your bones will not recover if you don't have it and you're a male. Um, Logan wants to know if we're, putting, we're adding a tablespoon of bee pollen to oatmeal to help lower cholesterol. I have no idea, but bee pollen in your um, uh, oatmeal is actually just good food and it may be of value there. Um Let's see, L-glutamine. Could I talk about L-glutamine for leaky gut? Yeah, it's a wonderful tool, and everybody should try some if they have any kind of gut problems. It comes in a powder, easily dissolvable. And we are at the end of the hour, and I want to thank Bill and whoever was on the board today for answering the phones, and I want to welcome you all back to another AMA show next week because I am interview free this is actually kind of fun I'm, I'm kind of liking back being back in in the question mode absolutely i think we had a wonderful participation today and we really put
0: irene to work so i thank her very much and i want to uh just thank everybody for their participation it's been a great show so until next monday thank you dr harvey thank you irene and everyone stay healthy. You have been listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. Coming right on up is five minutes of NPR news and then get ready for the sustainable living show hosted by the Cracker Jack team of Kenny Coogan and Annie Ellis. And until next Monday at 10 a.m., thank you for supporting and listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa, your community-conscious radio station. Stay safe, stay thoughtful, and know that you are loved.